You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Some guy on Twitter who's just like, "Come on, guys!" And they're like, "How dare you? That's so mean!" And I'm kind of like. It's a broken leg. I mean, it sucks. He's going to be out for the season, but he'll walk again. I, I guarantee it. <laughs> you know, it's not like we have to notify his next of kin. <laughs> you know, like. uh, I think it's just because Skip Bayless sucks. So I don't think it was Skip Bayless who said it. If it was Skip Bayless, yeah, just pile on just because it's Skip. But I know he had one, but I, there was probably more. I'm sure. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Skip has had his thing about how he made it about LeBron. Because yeah, that's, that's the one I know. saw. Yeah, that fucking yeah. That was just stupid. It was like, shut up, shut the fuck. Yeah. Up. I was like, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I turn on the ESPN. They're all just like they're like yeah, they're all in hushed tones, and they have like the the soft outro music. <laughs> so it's like I think we're overplaying this just a tad. It's not the Death Watch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's step back from the ledge. Um, yeah, that's somehow a, yeah. I, I think you'll find the energy to cash that 150 million dollars in guaranteed money. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Those injuries are always horrific. Like when it happened to Lattimore, you know, you're just yeah, like, like that. Oh. Yeah, because that was awful because it was in college. But also, it was like, yeah, that's career ending. Also, it was the second one that got everybody. Yeah, like. The first one, you're like, God, oh, man, he broke his leg. That sucks. The second time, I was like, God, oh, Jesus, that's that's fucking it. <laughs> you know, like you don't bounce back from two. Um, and he did it in college. Like that sucks because he never got the, he never found his payday. Yeah, I thought I saw Alex Hickey like tweeted, um, next time you bitch about an athlete, you know, not getting his payday or whatever, that just remember this injury. So I think it's a good yeah. point. Like that's yeah, why I think they do it. Like a- I mean, I think that's what makes the wear injury worse. The one, you know, in Louisville. Yeah. I mean, he's a college kid. Like, that, like, yeah, that he didn't get his so chance. Yeah, like, it, it's, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's okay if it happens to a pro player, but it's a lot less tragic, particularly once they've signed their really big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he, Gordon Hayward's going to do with those $50 million. Yeah, I know. It's like, like he can never. What if he can never play again? Well, then I guess he's going to drink a lot of margaritas, <laughs> like, and he's going to learn the word tax shelter. <laughs> like, he's going to be okay. Like, yeah, and it's not even like, like even at least the wear injury was like, you know, there was a problem with like, a, wasn't there like problem with the blood flow? Like, he almost lost his leg. Yeah, I remember it got scary. Yeah, like that was like the worst injury. Oh, that was the worst injury. In. But yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm insensitive. I'm just. I thought, you know, it's on this same note, there's a weird attitude about showing horrific injuries on TV. Yeah. And people are like, oh, my God, don't show that. And I'm like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I draw the line on it. Like, I, I actually I have a place where I have artificially drawn the line because, yes, most of life is line drawing. You have to find out where it is. Mine is if they're pro. I'm fine with showing it as many times as you want. They were paid for it. College kids, nah, nah. You, 
maybe once, but that's it because yeah. they're not being compensated. You're actually watching a kid's dreams die. It's an interesting journalistic question in some sense because at some level you have a responsibility to report yeah. and display what happened, you know. But I guess you we, can talk about it. Yeah, you know, you have to talk about it. But, I mean, you don't have to – like if you had – I don't know, if you had the – Take it out of like modern. Let's say you had video of the you know the Austin Tower shooter back in the 1960s. Do you have an obligation to show that video, or just report the story and you know use stock footage of the tower and interview some people that were there? Yeah, you know, not to go too somber, but I had that similar experience with with the Vegas shooting, and there were a few cell phone videos flying around, which were very difficult to watch, but it's almost, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm a decrepit person, but it's like, it's one of those things that's hard to turn away from. Like you kind of want to. And I I think with the uh, proliferation of the internet now, it becomes a lot easier of a journalistic choice because you can take it off the main channel, but you can put it on your website. Yeah. And because then it becomes, well, the pr- only person who's going to see it is someone who is actively clicking through to it. Yeah, as long I mean, as you make the video like autoplay or something like that. It's definitely. I think that's like actually that. a pretty good way to handle a lot of those things. You remember that one? Um, th- this is more relative because the ones I saw in Vegas, like I didn't go hunting, but the one I yeah. saw was more just like sound, and you could see people getting down, but you couldn't really see anything. God, um, it was still horrifying, obviously. But yeah, the sound was the worst part. Yeah, yeah. You remember a few years ago, the man that just like walked up to that reporter and um, like shot right in the head. I think that was no. Like, yeah, they caught it on like a morning broadcast. Jesus. Yeah, it was like this. You know, whatever. It was like, yeah, this insane person and went and. Uh, Got like his handgun and just like walked up on this reporter that was like reporting on a boardwalk. And just like walked up and shot her in the, in the head. It was horrific. That that is that's yeah. You're not expecting that. Yeah, and like they they. I mean, they were like taping a segment, you know. So like they caught it on like the morning news. It, <laughs> yeah, like the like, morning news is not like the hard hitting time. That's yeah, not it, like they're, it was legitimately like her being like, "Come out to the beach today and enjoy the." You know, like it was awful. Yeah. It's, it's not the Occupy Wall Street story. <laughs> no. you know, it's... I can't remember the whole backstory, too, but I remember thinking, like, this is crazy. Like, God, no, I don't remember that at all. Or there's that age-old one with that politician that got caught in this. Uh, it, I don't know if it was a corruption scheme or some sort of personal love affair scheme, and then he uh, committed suicide on TV. That one's crazy. Yeah, and then uh, I just we just watched the movie, what is it? Uh, I think it's called Christine, I think. No, that's the car. But anyway, it's the uh, um, uh, news anchor in Florida who sh- shot herself live on air. Ooh. She did it to protest uh, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. Oh my God. So she was talking and then pulled out a gun and shot herself in the head on on air. It's like a real, st- you know, a real event. But oh the movie was clearly, yeah. And they've never rebroadcast the footage or anything. It's like a really. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't think I could. Yeah, and it was like a. It was like it, it was somewhere like Jacksonville, or you know, not even that. It was, I mean, it was like Daytona Beach. Like yeah. it was not like the kind of thing where they're like, 
you know, it wasn't Miami. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like Miami where it's like, well, you know, everybody here has seen a lot of violence. (laughs) I mean, like if that would have happened for me growing up watching the Baltimore news, I would have been like, all right, you know, (laughs) it seemed a little excessive, but I could see it. (laughs) It is interesting though. I mean, this is to tie this into football. So we don't go totally perverse, I guess, but there is a thirst for violence. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's I, foolish for people to deny that they have an interest in it. Like you always talk about saying that we don't are interested in the violent part of football is just lying. Yeah, I, I, I make this argument all the time, and I refuse to lie about it. Like I like the violence. The violence is one of the selling points. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't. I clearly don't want people to get hurt, but that is that's part of the game. I mean, yep. when Teddy Roosevelt, you know, reformed college football way back when, he he wasn't trying to prevent broken arms and broken legs. He thought that was just men being men. He wanted to stop people, you know, dying. And I'm kind of in the same thing. It's like, look, I want to stop major head trauma, but I don't want to stop violence. Violence is the selling point. For sure. So, yeah, and I know that makes me a horrible person, but at least I admit it. <laughs> like, I mean, like I admit what I while I'm watching. Like, I think a lot of people try and pretend, oh, violence has no appeal to me. Only you, you know, lesser developed, you know, so and so could possibly enjoy the violence inherent in these. You know, like, no, I like people hitting each other. I'm sorry, I do. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, and by the same token, I totally respect people that feel morally conflicted and have started to turn away from the game in general yeah. because they're like, I just can't. Like, I can't support it. Yeah. It, and I think that's the thing about, like, the head traumas. It's so bad. Like, that is a whole – like, look, I'll, we'll tie this back in the court. Hey, when you break a leg, that sucks. But life will go on. You will live a normal life after your leg heals. Massive head trauma, that sticks with you. Your brain doesn't really heal. You know, the the brain tissue doesn't regenerate itself. No, indeed. And so, yeah, that's when it becomes a question, a more questionable moral issue. So, so when we're talking line drawing, that's that's my artificial line, or, or it's not artificial; it's arbitrary. Yeah, but I think there's good reason to it. Yeah. So, on that happy note, hey, <laughs> welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. I'm Poser. That's Dan. LSU won. Woo. I just go straight into it. I hate Auburn. We beat Auburn. I'm in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's feeling good. It's, uh, yeah. It's uh, like even last week, there was like, you feel good because you won, but it was sort of like, yeah, we won. <laughs> yeah. Know? It, was like, it was kind of like, well, Florida's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, there was some real, no one really thought we turned a corner last week. It was just that it didn't get worse. Yeah. But this week actually feels like something because Auburn is a legitimately good team. Yeah, there's no. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're number ten in the country. Good. Yes, I agree. But they're going to be ranked at the end of the year, most likely. Yeah, I think there's a sequence of events in the whole weekend too that make you feel good, including Syracuse upsetting Clemson. I agree. So suddenly that win doesn't look so like 
you know, it's like, oh, that was a pretty good team. Yeah, you feel a lot better about You feel worse about the Troy game, though. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. That yeah, one is not going to get better at all. No, like, it's not. It's just, that's the stinking, you know, that's the bad one. But I mean, what's weird about that is I think, I know I have, but I think so have a lot of LSU fans. They've kind of accepted the Troy win as the necessary evil to turn the corner. Yeah, I saw you put that out on Twitter. Like the, in, in a way, it's, it was a good thing for this team. Yeah, you got to bottom out. And there's no denying it. Once you lose to Troy. Yeah, there's nowhere else to go. And honestly, you better hope that's rock bottom. Because I remember <laughs> yeah. um, Billy wrote a column and he said, this is rock bottom. And I was sitting there thinking, no, it might not be. Best case scenario, this is rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, rock bottom can – if things took a turn for a worse – it could have, you know, we could have been looking at that going, well, that's when it all started to go bad. And instead, it's where the team reacted, and now they have two quality wins right in a row. And this one, I think, is an undeniable quality win, not just up for the opponent, but how they did it. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, there's no, there's no, um, the Florida game, first of all, you have a missed extra point that is yeah. essentially the reason they won. Um, in this game, LSU played a shit awful first quarter and then basically just took control of the game and didn't give it back. Like they just, yeah. they just owned it. They played better than Auburn. And it wasn't like, you know, we talked about, I mean, I tweeted about this too, and I think you have too, but like there, it wasn't like a bunch of breaks that let, it's not like Stidham threw four interceptions. You know, like Washington State got their asses beat, but Luke Falk threw what, like five or six interceptions? And Something crazy. It was bad. You know, like in, when you see that, you're like, well, of course they lost, you know, <laughs> but it's not. And Stanham wasn't good, but it wasn't like they were just giving us the ball on a silver platter routinely. Yeah, I was talking with someone at work and I was just like, yeah. And I, what I said was weird about it is you went down 20 to nothing, but there wasn't like, oh, this is the moment the comeback starts. No. And, and that tends to be how comebacks happen. Where, oh, there's that moment, there's that spark, and it lit the team. They, it was really gradual. It was, you know, 20 to nothing. Things were bad, but LSU responded, made it 20 to 7. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, we're not dead. You know, that's good. We responded. And then Auburn came back and kicked the field goal. You know, they drove down the field looked pretty good. You're like, okay, you know, now this is – and we're going back and forth, but we've just dug ourselves a hole. And then they got that touchdown right before the half, and it was a, you know, a spectacular catch by Gage. But it was just it was all of a sudden it was twenty three to fourteen and you looked at it and you felt like LSU had gotten thoroughly dominated. But they were only down by nine points. Poser's law was in effect. But honestly, if you looked at the stat sheet, it was pretty even. Yeah. I mean the the difference in the game at that point was pretty much Chark's fumble. Yeah, I remember feeling pretty defeated. I was at a bar in Chicago. And I think I pulled up the box score just to like peek at the numbers. And I was like, oh, it's not, you know, I knew the score, obviously, but I was like, I'm curious yeah. what the rest of the numbers are. And I was like, you know, this is not so bad. And it kind of yeah. also, it felt like we stole the momentum, like right at the end of the half. I thought, and they were like, we're going to get the ball first. Yep. So yeah, it felt like, it felt like Auburn had missed their chance to blow LSU out. Yeah, uh, Godfrey, or uh, Connolly mentioned this on the the podcast they played no one on their summary show on Sunday. He was like, there's there's something about when a team initiates a blowout that if they, they hit a certain point where if they don't keep going, it's going to be trouble. Like it's going to fall apart. And they, 
Auburn well, sort of just hit that point, and then they just sort of eased off the throttle. See, and I don't really feel they eased off the throttle because they went twenty to nothing. LSU scores to make it twenty to seven. So the next time Auburn touches the football after going up twenty to nothing, it's a two score game again. True. And they went down and scored again to make it twenty three, you know, twenty three seven. Which I guess you can say is letting up off the throttle. But let's be honest; they had already kicked two field goals. Yeah. So, and I, so I kind of felt like the offense definitely wasn't doing as well. But I, I didn't get the feeling from Auburn was like, oh, well, we're just putting everything up on blocks and we're not trying to score anymore. Like when that drive, when they kicked that field goal, Auburn was trying to score a touchdown. I mean, they were still focused and still running the full offense. This wasn't the disinterested, oh, this game's a blowout. Yeah, that's fair. And so – and then the next time they touched the ball, it was 23-14. And, and there's no way you put it up on blocks at that point. It's less than 10 points. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of this is really – it's a coaching victory, which <laughs> became a major question mark. That, you know, everyone sort of freaked out and we had the meeting with the assistants and Owen Canada are fighting and he did the whole thing in the first half. Troy offense looked like it was a debacle. Everyone's wondering if it's ever going to get righted, you know, and just all the rumors are flying. And this was – this reeks to me of like coaches coming out, whatever happened, happened. And Ogeron mentioned it like, hey, we made some adjustments to the sideline and then bang, it took. Like, And then Auburn never really recovered from whatever we adjusted to. Yeah, I think that's the biggest that LSU took Auburn's best shot early on. And like even Auburn's first drive where they went down and scored the touchdown – I mean, with their first driver, they didn't score because they actually – no, they they scored on that first drive. I honestly wasn't that worried because Auburn really just had one great play with a 15-yard penalty in the middle, you know, tacked onto it. But other than that, you know, LSU was kind of playing well. I mean, for a team that let up a touchdown on its opening drive. But it wasn't quite the every play – that was the second drive where it was just like, oh my god, they're – you know, this is chunk play after chunk play. They're never getting a third down. That's when you're just like, oh, this is, yeah. you know, this is going to be a long day. We're getting raced. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, we're going to get boat raced. And uh, um, so, but LSU took that shot and then adjusted. And I was like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to come back and win this game. You know, we're, we took your best shot. Now here's our shot. And when Auburn took the shot, they just didn't do anything. There was no adjustments. There was no nothing. And LSU just slowly got – that third quarter I thought was really critical because I thought LSU had to score. Yep. You're down down nine. Get a score early. Make it a one-score game. Get the crowd into it, and it's a ball game. And instead, they just – it was like they danced around each other for a quarter. Neither team scored. They both put some drives together that looked pretty good but didn't really go anywhere. And at the end of it, it was kind of like – I think both teams really felt like they missed an opportunity for 15 minutes. But really, it was LSU finding themselves while Auburn was just floundering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Auburn – I mean, Gus even basically outright admitted it. I think they were trying to play field position and sort of grind the clock, but it did not work. You cannot do that for 30 minutes. I mean, that's, that's crazy talk. And particularly with a nine-point lead. It, they make it sound like it was 20 to nothing at the half. It was a nine-point game for the entire third quarter. Yeah, like you could do that to like South Alabama or something like that, but yeah. not to an SEC team, no. I think the moment I thought I truly thought Auburn was going to lose is when they had that fourth and one, you know, that uh, fourth and one from midfield. Oh. And 
And I was just like, I, I have that's just a terrible decision. Yeah, what I mean, was that? That is it's like against everything Gus stands for. Yeah, I was I was so actually bad. on the phone with my mom at the time. And she's like, oh, we stopped them. I was like, no, we haven't stopped them. This is clearly a fake. No one would punt in this situation. This is, <laughs> like this is the worst possible punting decision. And sure enough, and, and they took the ball out of the one guy, one guy's hands who was doing anything on their offense was Kerry and Johnson. Mm-hmm. And they took the ball out of his hands and, well, thank you, Auburn. Yeah. But, uh, um, Jared Stidham, I mean, after that monster first quarter, which what I thought was interesting is like he had a huge first quarter, but a lot of it was triggered by his receivers making incredible catches. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some catches that were just I mean, they, they were just great, and it was sort of you can't even be mad because the other team's trying to win too. I say that a lot, but like it was just like wow, that's that guy was giving his one hundred and ten percent, and then at the end of the game when they really needed those catches to come through. The Auburn receivers dropped a couple of passes in those last drives. The pressure got to them. They, they could make these highlight reel catches when there was no pressure. But once the game got tight, they they saw the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Stidham was well, he was under assault somewhat thanks to our yeah. defense. But he he did not look like a very accurate passer. Uh, I haven't watched the last few weeks of Auburn where he's really had his breakout. I mean, the numbers look good. He's completed like 65% of his passes. But if you showed me that game, I'd be like, oh, that guy's not an accurate passer. I don't really care what his completion percentage says. I don't think he was as good as his numbers suggested in the first quarter, but he wasn't as bad as the rest of the game's numbers were, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. It was somewhat like an avalanche. Like it just was sort of rolling downhill on him and he couldn't stop it. and look, 11 pass breakups is ridiculous. Yeah, I, let, it should be acknowledged that. And they were making some crazy breaks on the ball. Like Tolliver made a couple that were just like, holy shit, like, coming look, out of if nowhere. You get, if you get five pass breakups in a game, you've had a really good game as a total defense, not a guy. But if your entire secondary has five, you have you're, – you're, the secondary has locked it down. 11 – I mean, that is literally the difference between Stidham going 20 for 26 and what he did go 9 of 26. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, that's uh, – that is the difference in the game. Um, it's not that he failed. It's it's mainly that the secondary forced him to fail. Like, I, I really do put this on our, on our secondary because sometimes it's hard to say did – was it your great defense or their terrible offense? I think that stat of 11 pass breakups really shows it was great defense. Yeah, it was a good showing. Uh, we knew – I bet if we go back to our preseason rank, unit rankings, yeah. no one ranked Auburn's wide receivers high except for me, I think, just from memory. And that yeah. was basically saying, yeah, these guys haven't done much, but I really like Stidham, so I think they could break out based on right. that factor. And this weekend you saw – like. They just aren't that talented of a group, I don't think. Like, we really yeah, kind no, of manhandled no. those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, aside from that one breakdown, uh, Hastings took advantage of. Mm-hmm. So when he's you know wide open and no one is covering yeah, him, he busted. Can, you know, he can take a forty-nine yard bomb. But other than that, yeah, they they weren't that threatening. This is a good performance. I mean, that this is the type of game we were waiting for. I think to feel good about the season and not feel like. Even, like I said, after last week, everyone felt still like 
oh, it's nice to win. We played hard. That's cool. And that was kind of the, like, the peak. It felt of it. a little bit like Florida lost it. Yeah. This one, LSU won. Yeah, they went out and took it. And, and, and I think that meant something to O. Like the look on his face after the game, I'll never forget it. Just so pure joy on his face. Yeah, th- this was this was a really big win for him because look, we were both talking before the game. It's like, look, just don't let this game ruin the season. Yeah, like that was our, our go in thought. It's just like, look, odds are you're going to lose. Your goal is just to come out of it, you know, intact, both physically and emotionally. And instead. They win the game. They've now beaten Florida and Auburn. They control their own destiny in the West. Which is insane. <laughs> I, I, I get that. And, I mean, outside of Alabama, LSU will probably be favored in every game left on its schedule. Maybe not Texas A&M. It depends on how we finish up. Yep. But it really changed. You know, two weeks ago, people are talking about what happens if this team goes winless in the SEC. And now we're talking the possibility of winning the SEC West. <laughs> uh, I Though it is a little bit of a long shot because you still need to beat Bama. And I think everybody still admits Bama's on a different level. But look, we were saying that about Auburn last week. So I don't – and I don't think this Bama team is invincible. I agree. Uh, They're one-dimensional. Their their dimension is incredible. So that's – there's something to be said for that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how – I think the, the source part of that is right now their strength on offense, which is running the football, is not something we particularly stop super well. But we stood up against Auburn. So yeah, maybe, look, maybe we're making strides there. Johnson still had 100 rushing yards in the first half. So yeah. let's not pat ourselves in the back too much. Um, but they did stiffen up in the second half. They, and remember, even though they punted the way the fourth and one, it was third and two. So... The defense did make some big stops in the run game when it mattered. Yeah, um, sure. Auburn was 3 of 14 on third downs, so not all of those were passing downs. I, uh, I wrote in my piece today about enough with the loser talk, and I feel, I feel guilty about I, – I think the pod last week was a bit loser talky. Yeah, but I mean, we're taking the long view of the season here. It's like – Look, you're playing to win. I, I always agree with that. Like this is, it's about winning. But we weren't talking about. I think the ultimate loser talk is you're talking about moral victories, and we weren't talking <laughs> about that. It was more like, don't let this defeat carry over to the rest of the year. And you had to be realistic about where you were at that point. Look, nothing previously had shown that LSU could win a game like this. Nope. And to win a game without a lot of good fortune is the best takeaway out of this game. Do you feel like people would have had the same perspective if Miles was still the coach? And, like, the record was the same, losses were the same to this point. Or would you have more confidence that we could rebound? Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we, there's stuff that would be a big fight about and everyone would be mad at each other. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think the losing to Troy is a lot more forgivable if it's an O loss than if it was a Miles loss for making the comparison. Because that's that's one of those, hey, it's a first year, things got out of control. He yeah. was – look, Orgeron didn't do a, a good job in his first month. No, he didn't. I think he, he would say that. He won't be the first guy who does a bad job in his first month on the job. I mean, in anything. 
And so that loss, I don't want to say it's okay, but it becomes a little bit forgivable if the narr- if he turns the season around. The narrative becomes, this is the learning curve. Um, if it was Miles still as the coach, you can't use that as an excuse. That's just an unforgivable loss. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. So, and also, getting blown out at Mississippi State would have been a big concern. And... Just the defense playing how it's played so far still. Because Miles had a definite identity of how he wanted the team to play. And this team is nowhere near that identity. I, I think what makes it excusable is that Orgeron is trying to give this team a different identity. So I'm more willing to accept growing pains. Yeah, in hindsight, that meeting that everyone wanted to make fun of could have really been meaningful to owe to this season, to maybe owe his whole career. Like... It felt a lot like O just went right back to the guy he was at Ole Miss early on. Yeah. Right when, you know, like he was back to trying to micromanage, back to trying to like, he's meddling with the offense. I hate saying that, you know, because it, I think it's bullshit, but he yeah, was, I, oh, he admitted to it. <laughs> so, and I think he, that meeting was kind of the come to Jesus of being like, oh, I don't think you should be doing that. And ever since then, it's, it's we're back on a path. Yeah, I, I think he was tight. Yeah, like it meant too much to him. Like he was just, he was just, he was coaching nervous. Yep. And I think you know once you hit rock bottom, to, you know we'll use Billy's expression. Uh, once you hit rock bottom, it's a lot easier to let everything hang out. So they've played a lot better against Florida and Auburn. And look, it didn't all happen at once. Actually, it's very much like the Auburn game. Like it was a slow, gradual thing. There wasn't a moment you're just like everything changed. But you can see it over the last two weeks. This has been a team that has slowly just gotten better. So what you're saying is he's like the old guys at my gym that just hang brain in the gym? Yeah, exactly. He's hanging brain right now. <laughs> but, and this is to knock him right now, is that his team still hasn't put forth a full 60-minute effort. Yeah. And that's what I want to see against Ole Miss. I mean, this is something that I would have liked to have seen earlier in the season, but... You want to see a guy. You want to see the team just play a full four, four quarters. Yeah, and Ole Miss is a team we should blow out. I, I will be very clear about that. I, I do not think they are good at all. Yeah, I, I still don't think this LSU team is good enough to blow anybody out, except for maybe Missouri, who's not on our schedule. Um, they can't take anyone for granted, like. I don't want them reading their press clippings and thinking how great they are. This team is not good enough to read press clippings and believe them. They can't show roll their helmets out and beat somebody. That said, I'd like to see them win the game by a comfortable margin. How about that? I feel like I'm way more confident than anybody else. Like I don't, I don't think they'll get ahead of themselves as far as press clippings go. But I feel like this galvanized them and. The, it gave them a new confidence that they clearly lacked early on. Like you, we talked a lot about that they couldn't take a punch. The first bad thing that yeah. happened, they sort of just collapse, let it all collapse up on top of them after that. And now they feel like the, the other, complete opposite of that. Like they took all of the punches against Auburn, and then were like, "Nah, that's fine." Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But I also think this is still the same team that started the season believing in themselves a little too much and being a little too fat and happy after the BYU game. And then bad things happened. 
Fair enough. So this is still the same team. We're not. I mean, it wasn't like that happened last year. So I think you look at it on paper. You're like, look, these are the two things that have both happened to this team, and they still haven't put forth a full game of wow. That's just LSU Tiger football. So until they do that, it's hard for me to say, oh, they should totally blow a team out. Well, I, also I mean, I know they're. The- I don't get the argument that people are saying, well, this is a classic trap game. I'm like, no, it's not. A trap game comes before a game against a better team. We're going off a bye. So they can devote all of their focus to this game and then have a full two weeks to prep for Bama still. Yeah, I, I think so. I think more this is, to put this in old LSU terms, it's when LSU beat Florida in 1997 when they were the number one team in the country. They pull off this great upset. Everybody goes crazy. You know, They charge Tiger Stadium for the first time. And then the next week they go out and lose the whole mess. Like how much of it was them just getting by on emotion? Yeah. And, and like, I just need, I need them to show that they have focus. They, they basically showed that when the chips are down, you know, they will batten down the hatches and, you know, they'll get the job done. But what they can't do is take a breath. They can take a breath next week during the bye. I, my perception, I guess, is guided probably by my preseason expectation, which was we're going to be pretty good. We're going to be a little young. I thought we would head into Auburn undefeated and have a, a scrap with them in a close game, which is what it wound up being, close game. Yeah. Um, obviously, what happened is that we lost two games before then, but I kind of dismissed those as outliers just because they're both so wild, like losing to State by 30, losing to Troy. I feel like those are not – I know that it's it's bullshit to say because you are what your record says you are. Well, we played those games, that, but it just doesn't feel like that was the same team. And I think it does feel like the same team. If it's Look, LSU's only played, what, six games this year? Yeah, we're, we're six games. Syracuse game, Seven. they kind of – Five and two. They're five and two now? Yeah, you're right, five and two. They kind of, you know, putzed about against Syracuse. I mean, it was a win and – Look, I'm not going to you know turn down a win. BYU was probably the one game where they just went out there and just beat a team up. Um, so I think it's, you can say, look, they're both of these teams. And look, the Florida game looks better when next to the Auburn game. You know, it's kind of getting some reflected sunlight from Auburn. Yeah. If there's no That's Auburn game, um, we're still not feeling that great about this team because the Florida game wasn't that great of a win. No, and it's going to look worse and worse, I think, because Florida's yeah. not very good. Yeah, so I, it's so you can really make an argue, argument that Auburn is the outlier. Um, I don't think it is. I don't think either one of them are the outlier. I, but what I need this team is I need them to keep improving and say uh, make this the gal that Troy really is that galvanizing moment where they came together as a team and they continue to get better. It's pretty easy to be focused back to back against hated rivals, both ranked. In really marquee matchups, like yeah. these were, you know, these were big, high-profile games. And you were underdogs. I mean, I know the. I think at the end of the week, the line tilted back on Florida, but yeah, people still were. A lot of people were picking against LSU in that game. Yeah, they, they were. They were not the the popular choice. Ole Miss is a week you can see where LSU would be like, oh, well, we're the better team, you know. And it's once again it. O hasn't shown that he can focus the team on a game they're supposed to win. Chad so Nuka, he needs man. to show that. What's that? Chattanooga, man. Yeah, Chattanooga. Like, yeah. <laughs> and look, I think he will be able to do that, but he still has to do it first before I can completely 
sign off with any confidence. I look, I think uh, I was just saying before that I, I don't think Bama is an unwinnable game right now. I'm just saying. And, next week, when we're talking about the fact that we just blew out Ole Miss, just I would like all the praise and glory. You want all the praise and glory? Hey, look, we blew out Ole Miss. I'll give you all the praise and glory. I don't. I think we might, but I'm looking just for a comfortable win. I'm looking, you know, win by two scores. I'm happy. Yeah, I, no, I'm just going with the. Score, uh, I'm happy. I, what I don't want to say, hey, we should blow them out, and then if we get in this dogfight, we beat them by a last second field goal. Everyone's like, ugh. So I'm still keeping my expectations a little low. I'm still looking for wins, but right now this team is not in a position where they can dictate the how attractive their win is. I'm riding the wave of uh, too much optimism and believing that this team is playing more like the team I expected to see this year and that 18 to 21-year-old young men can be uh, highly emotional, and that can sometimes spark extraordinary things. So, no, I agree. They can be highly emotional. The thing is, has have we? What was it Lou Holtz who said that you only get your team's best effort three times a year? Yeah. Have we just used two of them? <laughs> so I don't think uh, so. I, I hope we haven't, but I'm still. I don't want to. I still think this team. Look. Ole Miss is on the schedule. Tennessee. Um, Which woof. Yeah. Arkansas. Uh, that's three three games that um, – I'm forgetting someone. I mean, I know A&M and Arkansas uh, – Alabama are the other. Yeah. But there's a – there should be three or four wins where – three or four games where LSU should just win these games. Yeah, I think this and, week and, is definitely one of them. Yeah, and this is definitely one of them. So that gets you to nine wins on the season – you know, that puts you at nine. Yeah, no, so yeah, that'll put you at eight and two. And then the uh, um, Alabama and AM de- determines whether you win 10 games or not. Um, but you got to take care of business. And this is a team that still has not shown it can just take care of business. So it's hard to, you know, once you do it, you've proven you can do it. But until then, I, I think it's valid to question them. On that, they haven't given anybody a whole lot of a whole lot of reason for for confidence. Right. At least not, at least not question that they're going to blow teams out right now. Everyone on the site would tell you that you know you're a negatiger. You're a negatiger now, so we know. All right, yeah, yeah just uh, you you cashed in all your delusional optimism checks. And I, I did. I just, I'm totally out. No, I mean, look, I think this team is in really good shape. Um, you beat Ole Miss, they get you to six and two, then you're bowl eligible. And I think that's what you really that makes the season at this point, based on how the first month went, if you can get the bowl eligible by the bye week, this season is a, is a success. Yeah, he, I mean, he's pulled. He has already successfully pulled it out of the ditch. So. I, I, yeah, that's the big thing. Is that he has pulled it out of the ditch, and we were worried about that. We were seriously worried about the ditch. Two weeks ago, and we're no longer in that place. If you come out of a bye week six and two, you play Alabama. Look, anything can happen in sixty minutes. And if and if you can pull the upset off Alabama, then things get really fun. I'm interested this weekend in. It's one thing to stop Auburn's passing game, and I think Stidham is a good player. Uh, they don't have the receiving weapons like Ole Miss does. Yeah, Ole Miss has some serious three of their. 
receivers are in the top 10 and SEC receiving yardage. Yeah, best group in the conference. But Ole Miss can't run the ball at all. No, and, and that's uh, our weakness. Yeah, so that kind of plays into what we do well. I think I think people should just prepare themselves now for the – like it's not going to be 11 pass breakups again. Ole Miss is going to make some plays in the passing game. I agree. But also, like, there's going to be more interceptions because Shea Patterson is that kind of quarterback. Yep. Yeah, he's going to do something crazy, and then he's going to, like, give it right back to us the next series. So, so yeah, I do think this is a, a It'll be a perfect matchup for LSU. They match up, LSU matches up really well with Ole Miss. Yeah. Like, that's, their that's why are I feel really confident, honestly. If we were playing A&M this week, I would not feel nearly as confident because A&M does a little more things well that we aren't so adept at stopping. But yeah, like I want us to make I, – what I want to see this week is the full effort. And look, three quarters against Auburn was great. Give me four quarters against Ole Miss. Sure. You know, give me that same effort without falling down 17 to nothing. Yeah, and I, th- I think you got a clear line now saying you own your future. And yes. You've seen the bottom and you know you don't want to taste that again. And now you can make your own destiny, so let's go do it. Yeah. It's an easy message to sell. Is it question time? I think it is. I think it is question time. Alright. I gotta dig these up. I think we have quite a few. Alright. Okay. Let's see here. I don't know, because I asked twice since uh, you had to bail last night. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm I'm an irresponsible jerk. I'm telling you, you've given up on delusional optimism. I totally have. (laughs) I'm totally busting your balls. I I know that. I I picked up on the vibe. (laughs) You're not taking my bait. (laughs) Trying to be better about it. It's more fun when you take it. I know. I've been really busy at work, so. You have with the Z Germans. With the Z Germans. This week actually isn't the Z Germans. Uh oh. You already tanked the Germans? No, I haven't tanked the Germans. It's but something else. So. Well, good luck. Yeah. All right. Benjamin Alterman, is Ole Miss going to hell? It's a good question. Of course. Ole Miss is going to hell. That's, that's obvious. Yes. Okay, Wes Shepard, Edlin Gage touchdown was a planned 10-year anniversary tribute to Flynn Bird Pass. Uh, is this a conspiracy? Um, it was a little bit different. The Flynn Bird Pass was, what, like 35, 40 yards? Yeah. This was like a 15-yard pass. Also, that dive, whew, that made me nervous. And uh, Flynn, when he threw his the bird, he sat back in the pocket, just dropped it perfectly. This was off the back foot, falling away. Like... He, he like threw a threw a Dirk Nowitzki follow a jumper, <laughs> and uh, and then Gage that diving catch was just beautiful. I'm hoping that, I mean that play specifically is one you could point to, but uh, Edling had a couple others, and I'm hoping he can start to build his confidence some as a passer. But I feel like that's played into his issues a little bit as he's just not totally confident. What's funny is he had his best numbers in the first quarter when the team fell behind seventeen nothing. Yeah. Uh, okay, Brian Arbor. When I was a kid, I thought QBs having numbers in the 20s was cool. 
Now I look at Shay Patterson wearing 20 and think it's stupid. My question is, what is the appropriate punishment for Ole Miss ruining a pleasant childhood memory? Um, well, they, they go to hell. That, that is the appropriate punishment. I'm trying to think of a quarterback when you're a kid that had 20 as a number. I always thought quarterbacks were between 1 and 19. Yeah, I feel like the 20 is a really new thing. Yeah, because, like, you know, Y.A. Tittle I know has the 25, but that was, you know, back in the 40s. Maybe Brian uh, Arbor is old as shit. Maybe he is. Maybe he's a lot older than he has profile picture. <laughs> but, like, most of uh, the NFL, once they came up with their rules on numbering, and that's been around since, like, the 60s, quarterbacks had to be between 1 and 19. It's true. Yep. And I can't really think of any colleges that really broke that rule. So I think you just have weird childhood memories. The only logical conclusion is that Brian Arbor is like 75 years old. <laughs> like, yeah, even older. Yeah, he's 75 years old and you watch Y.A. Tittle. <laughs> and at that point, nothing can ruin Y.A. Tittle. <laughs> Congrats to our oldest listener, Brian Arbor. <laughs> Here's uh, the old guys. <laughs> <laughs> he followed up with how much should I worry about the team hearing only nice things about this week and not being sharp for the game. This is your concern. I'm a little bit concerned. I, I, I think with this team, you can take nothing for granted yet. They still don't quite have their identity in stone, and unless you're Dan and you think that's already, you know, they're you know forged in the hottest fire, and they are now I you know turn that iron to steel. That's true. Um, I'm more. Hey, look, they did a little of this. They did a little of that. Let's let's see more of that <laughs> and less of this. Uh, okay, Max. Max Toscano. Uh, okay. So he wrote like an essay here. Uh, Danny Adling had a pretty decent game. A lot of Canada's you know, short and intermediate stuff has been ineffective and small in usage. Do you think Canada is selling out the big play, basically, and just accepting the fate that we can't do short and intermediate and we're just playing for big passing plays? Right, first off, that's your question. Get it down to one tweet. Uh, <laughs> secondly, no, I don't think that's the plan. Um, I think Atlings are throwing all kinds of routes. It's just that they're not all working. Though I was impressed early on. I remember he had a like a 15-yard pass for a first down. I was like, that's exactly what I want to see out of him. And look, he had that really big gainer for a touchdown. Uh, I mean, the really big gainer to Gage wasn't really an over-the-top pass. No? I mean, it was a, you know, it was a short little route, and... He turned it around and turned it upfield. So, like, if you look at it, he didn't really have a whole lot of long passes in this last game. He had one 39-yard pass to Chark. Everything else was shorter than 15 yards. And the Chark pass was really, a like, a 10-yard out. Yeah, it was an out. With, you know, 20 yards rushing. So I don't think he's – he didn't live by the long ball in this last game. So go back to the tape. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, Brian Arbor again. Is there anything the coaches can do to get the running backs going? Or is this what happens when your O-line is so young? This is an interesting question, and I meant to bring this up earlier, because this is part of maybe why I have some confidence. I feel like we're finding our offensive identity, and it's that we don't really run the ball between the tackles well, so we're just not going to really do that anymore. Yeah, I, I wanted to see them run uh, guys outside a little bit more. Like, try a couple of toss sweeps. I know that's like a um, cause like half our listeners to break out knives. But guys is a pretty fast, elusive guy, even with an ankle injury. I was hoping they would run a few more 
outside the tackle, designed outside the tackle runs for him. Yeah, he's looked um, his best this year, even when he's gotten some outside runs. Yeah, um, I think he might look better once we can have a week off where he can just rest. Yes, I expect him to be at his best for the Alabama game. Um, I think that's when he'll be. You hope so. Yeah, I, I mean, those ankle injuries really linger, but having a bye week is really important. Um, Williams isn't really doing a whole lot in the middle. I still like that he's a tough runner. I mean, you can't abandon the middle. I mean, and honestly, like, it, it paid off in the end. Uh, you know, you, you need those runs of three or four yards just to keep the defense honest. Yeah, guys That's had a what, really unheralded sort of heroic second half. Like he, yeah. he, he ran for some tough sledding yards. Yeah, that first down run, which again was an outside run where he got to the sticks. Like he just – I think a lot of it was set up by tough running early on. Like you run those in between the tackle, three-yard fullback dives basically in order for the fourth quarter, you know, that they're tired of hitting you. Um yeah. I think they've had a pretty good. They've had a pretty good balance. They they haven't relied too much on the run. Um, I think well, our running backs had 26 carries. I don't think. Let's just guess and say there was like four or five outside runs. So there's about 20 to 22 inside runs. That's about right. Yeah, I just I feel like they've kind of think they found something with a lot of the jet sweep stuff. Like they're starting to hit those and they're hitting them big. Yeah, and yeah, each I mean, one is, uh, you know, Gage has had some, and Dylan, Dylan hasn't hit one as long as Gage yet, but he's hit some that where he looks like one tackle away from having a take. Yeah, a like Dylan's a guy, he looks like he's just about to do it. A chark, of course. Also, it gets it keeps all the receivers involved in the offense. So with Etling struggling, yep. it keeps your receivers from tuning out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know Billy's talked about on the side a lot that. That stuff will always be a constraint to the inside running game. So I'm not saying they're going to abandon the inside running game. Of course not. They're going to keep hammering it. Uh, I think maybe, unlike in years past, they just don't think necessarily that like that's going to be their bread and butter where they're going to yeah, get play they, eventually. We're just not built that way. We have yeah. a bunch of freshmen on the inside, and we don't have Leonard Fournette. Yeah. So this is what – you work with what you got. Yeah, which is a good sign. That's what you want to see. Yeah, it's what we I heard agree. about all offseason, you know? We're going to adjust to the, the players we have. And I think he has. And I, I, that's the best sign. Uh, okay, Max again. Eric Monroe played the game of his life. Do you rotate him with John Battle or rotate him with Delpit? Battle does back in practice this week, not in a gold jersey. So I think it's an interesting decision. Because Battle has not played particularly well, but how much of that is... Injury, because he's been banged up. I think you play everybody. Um, Look, there's going to be a a lot of opportunity for defensive backs to play against Ole Miss. Yeah. Yeah, They're going to run a lot of three, four wide receiver sets. We're going to be in a lot of time. We're going to be in the nickel a lot. We might even see six defensive backs in certain sets. So I I don't think it matters who's the guy that gets to play more, because I think they're both going to see, you know, even the guy who plays less is going to see 20 to 30 snaps. Yeah, so the next question ties right into this, too. Carter Bryant, friend of the site, former writer. Um, I listen to Carter's podcast and stuff. Big fan of Carter. Yep. 
So he wants to know what we're going to do with the lineup rotations of the DBs and OL. I think we addressed the DBs. OL, it, those guys are getting better, those freshmen. Yeah. It's kind I of mean, hard to keep them off the field if they keep playing well. Yeah, um, I have no problem playing with who's playing right now. Like, they didn't play great against Auburn, but uh, I hate to use the term heroic. But it kind of was, if that makes any sense. Like, this was a team that they were having real problems with the offensive line, and the freshmen have started to play well. And look, Etling, he got sacked, you know, four or five times, but it wasn't – he wasn't getting killed back there. Yeah, I don't feel like I remember him spending the day running for his life in the way that he had in the previous games. Like, oh, he got sacked a couple times, yes, but there's been games where he's just been on the run basically every drop back. Yeah, and I don't remember ever, like – consistently cursing out a guy. If that makes any sense. Where you're just like, God damn, you know. Yeah. I wasn't there going, God damn it, Brumfeld. Um, honestly, like everybody seemed to be playing pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, and honestly, you need, as more guys get healthy, that can only help the team. Because, uh, well, on the offensive line, you want to play a little bit of a rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hope those guys... It gives you – I think it gives you encouragement too that you don't have to rush a Weathers be back out there because now your yeah. options aren't just like floundering. They're playing all right. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd like to see him back for Alabama just because yeah. I, I want to have the depth there. But if we don't need him for Ole Miss, you know, rest up. Yep. All right, Jacob Hibbert, this is a good question, which shows he, he's a listener and reader. Um, we like listeners and readers. Yeah. Uh, does beating Auburn change your view about Brennan starting after Bama, which is something we've both talked about on the site? Um, I think if LSU beats Bama, it changes my opinion. Yeah. Because you, 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 if you beat Bama, you're still playing for the SEC West title. And, and maybe the playoffs. Yeah, so, yeah, you stick with your guys. You don't, you don't mess that up. Um, if LSU loses to Bama, I, I still think you got to think – you got to get more snaps for Brennan, and I still want to see Brennan starting by the time you play Texas A&M, just because you got to be thinking about next year. Yeah, I would still like that. I, I, I you, Edley played fine on Saturday. He wasn't whatever. I'm not going to keep going. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to punt on the season and say, "Oh, we're just playing for next year." You know, once you lose the Bama, hey, we're you know, if we lose the Bama, you're like, "Oh, we're done." I don't want to have that attitude, but at the same time, I want to have Brennan have some real meaningful snaps so when next year comes around it's it's a you know a baton toss not a oh my god what am I going to do like a completely new guy coming in there <laughs> yeah um, it, it makes me think of you know O O came out and said a few weeks ago that the plan was never for Brennan to see any time in an SEC game obviously barring injury or something like that uh, it, <laughs> I just was thinking to myself I was like man he lies about everything. It's funny. It's just so – it's different. Yeah, look, I don't, and look, Miles lied, lied a lot too to the press. That's I don't care. They're yeah, not supposed I, to. I wasn't a knock on him. It just, yeah. It's a different style. I, like he just outright do, lies. It, like Miles people, is a little more coded. Yeah, people get really you know, offended by that. It's like, oh my god, the coach lied to us. <laughs> oh, 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 what a shock. Of course he lied to you. He's not going to tell you his plans. That's <laughs> – like, so – 
Yeah, I don't read too much into what the coach says. I'm not a – I don't live and die by the press conferences, by a, unlike a lot of other guys. You should. I'm just like, eh, he's lying to us, whatever. <laughs> okay, uh, John Desonet. My, my favorite name to pronounce every week. Uh, other than effort and heart, what's the biggest difference between LSU week three and LSU week seven? I think the defensive line having depth. Yep. They were able to rotate bodies in. I think that was a really – they just didn't wear down. I think that was a big difference. And also I think uh, um, Etling is getting more confidence in his receivers, and he really locked, locked in the DJ Chark, who has really stepped up and is really living up to the number seven jersey. We, I know we that was a question, I think, last week, like how do you live up to the number seven. But he really stepped up this week as like the star player. Yeah, easily the best game of his career. He looked incredible. Uh, even after biffing that early fumble that we didn't talk about. but Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it, but he spent all game making you forget about it. Like, yeah. And that's what you want your best players to do. Look, guys screw up. That happens. It's how he reacted to it. He was, you know, he he made it not matter. By the way, he wouldn't have fumbled if Edling fucking threw a good pass. I, I do agree with that. That was God. a terrible pass. He was, like, streaking down the field. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a touchdown. I'm not going to keep going. Yeah, it was. If he throws that in the right place, that's a touchdown. I totally agree. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry. Um, All right, Vinny, is there a worse color guy than Mac Brown? Do you think either of us could do a better job? Before you give your opinion, I I don't hate Mac Brown like the rest of the world. Like, I think he's kind of folksy and fun. But I, I guess he's not great for analysis. But I like his stories and stuff. Yeah, I like, I like the idea of color being color. Not yeah. always – they're providing color for the game. I like old stories and stuff like that. Um, Mac Brown's problem is that he's a little bit too nice. He, he's never critical of anything. That's true. Um, he's not the worst color guy ever. Phil Sims existed. Oh, my God. Phil Sims is really bad. <laughs> Phil Sims just added nothing to a broadcast. Um, <laughs> I know that's an NFL guy, but God, he was – he was. All the CBS guys have to be like, whoa, this is what analysis is. And Tony Romo. Like, yeah. But, and he was boring. But yeah, I like, you know, I like old guys telling stories. I mean, I, I live for that. I know that's not in vogue anymore, but that's my favorite kind of announcer. I mean, that's like Keith Jackson. That's yeah. Vin Scully. You know, old guys telling stories is the fucking best. Yeah. I just wish Mac Brown was more willing to tell fun stories, if that makes any, if that makes any sense. I, I think he's a little, I think he's a little guarded. And he doesn't want, and he, I think it's going, going to be the problem with Les as an announcer. He likes too many people, and he doesn't want to say anything bad that'll ruffle any feathers. Yeah, I think we've talked about it on the show too. I think there's sort of a coaching. He's a big believer in the coaching community. Yeah, and, uh, and he, that, he just wouldn't speak ill about a coach. Like that's just not in his DNA. And that's not good for either analysis or color. No. No, who would be great at color is Barry Switzer because he'd be drunk the entire time. <laughs> uh, Barry Switzer would be outstanding at color. Barry, Barry, Barry. <laughs> All right, uh, Jacob Hibbard. Will we see more McMillan design runs? Uh, is the use of QB run an expression of a lack of trust in Atling's passing ability? Uh, I think probably on the second one. Um, are we going to see more runs from McMillan? Probably That's- not. That didn't work very well at all. Um, and also, it's like he came out on the field. Everybody's thinking quarterback run. Yeah, I think Nick on the, Nick on the side was like they should have passed it. Like that would have been the 
the clever yeah. play there. I, I totally agree with that. Like putting him out there or, you know, hand off, like just don't have him carry the ball the first time. It was just a really weird play. Um, it was like destined to fail. Um, so I don't think you're going to see a whole lot more of McMillan. I didn't see that play because that was when my cable went out at the bar. Uh, it, he didn't miss anything. He took the snap and like everybody read the play. And he just got <laughs> swallowed up behind the play. Like it just it didn't go anywhere. It was it was busted from moment one. Um, and honestly, I don't see how that helps Etling at all. Like Etling is a better runner than McMillan, <laughs> at least from what we've seen. Etling's a pretty good runner. I mean, he gets killed on all those runs, but. <laughs> You know, he's really good at, you know, finding that four or five yards. I know. I remember people last year being like, Edwin's a statue back there. I'm like, are you are we watching the same guy? Like, he's not fake or anything, but he can move around. Yeah, he's classic mobile in, like, the sense of, you know, the old NFL quarterback that can scramble around just to create room in the pocket. Yeah. And then, you know, but, man, he can just step up, take four or five yards, and just take a – just a shot. Um <laughs> Kids got guts, and uh, you know I like guts. But like I said, the guts is what we needed against Florida. We need him to be a better passer going forward. And look, I think I think he played pretty well. Look, he threw for two hundred yards. I'd rather see that than a running quarterback. Oh, okay, West Shepard again. Uh, Tory Carter, uh, Metallica, and Red Bull. That's that's all I think of when I hear Tory Carter's name now. Um, you heard that story, right? No. Tory Carter drove from his – I don't know where he's from in Georgia, but wherever he's from in Georgia to Baton Rouge the night before report day. <laughs> it, like he left at midnight and just drove through the night. And they were like, so what? how did you stay up? And he's like, I just blasted Metallica and drank Red Bull. God, he's such a fullback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tory Carter seems to be on the field along a lot lately um, with J.D. Moore. And uh, has LSU become uh, power eye, full blown, sneaky good fullbacks offense? Um, no, but we here at the Sneaky Good Podcast totally support fullbacks as the greatest Americans. Uh, so I would love to see uh, more Tony Carter and JD Moore just because I love fullbacks. But we're moving away from them. Uh, but they'll find a way on the field because you know they'll make them H backs, which is just a glorified tight end. Yeah, he has a touchdown catch already. True freshman. Yeah, I, I love the kid. Me I, too. I, I think he's I really heard, good. I've never even heard the Red Bull and Metallica story. Now I love the guy. <laughs> like, he's got a gnarly haircut. Yeah, he's a, he he's a fullback through and through. That, that guy is such a fullback. He, he will never replace James Stampley in my heart. So just, James, if you're listening, you're still number one in my heart forever. But uh, Famed face, face mask smasher. Yeah, God, I, yeah. Any person that had the face mask smashing – my guy. Um, and we let him try and run the ball four times against Ole Miss to get him a touchdown. <laughs> Just still like one of my favorite sequences of all time. That was great. All right, Hilliard24, at Hilliard24. I don't know your first name, Hilliard. If your first name is Hilliard, that's pretty cool. Or, you know, maybe it's you know related to Ivory. <sighs> yeah. Uh, or Dalton. I mean, they're both related, Dalton and Ivory. Well, it's spelled Hilliard. No, I guess I said it like Hilliard. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. so it's not Hilliard. Okay, never mind. Uh, unless he's like being clever, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he is. 
Uh, I thought DL play was much approved last week. Were Heron and Lawrence just that good, or do you think it was a rotational thing? I think it was rotational. I think it's rotational. I, I mean, yes, Gilmore is a better player, but look, Lockature is really racking up some really nice numbers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's – I mean, everyone keeps poo-pooing his play, and I keep looking at it every week and being – this guy's doing pretty good. What do you want out of him? <laughs> like, and I don't think it's an entirely an illusion of the stats. I think he's, you know, legitimately, uh, you know, just having a good year. You know, what is he at right now? He's at, uh, he's our second leading tackler. Yeah. And he's got four and a half, uh, tackles for a loss. Pretty good numbers. He has three and a half, three and a half of those are sacks. I mean, I mean he's, and look, his job is to hold it up for other guys to make you know the final tackle. I don't think he's jumping on piles. I know someone forgot who it was when I mentioned that he had a ton of tackles. We're like, yeah, he's just coming in late. I don't think that's what he's doing. I, I think he's holding the runner up, waiting for the linebackers to finish things up. That's his job. He's not supposed to be making solo tackles. Um, I don't, yeah, he had he had another seven last week. You know, so I think the rotation is really. It helps everybody. Um, but I don't think it's going to force a guy like, you know, I think if they're planning on it sending Lockature to the bench, it's not going to happen. He's playing too well. Oh, yeah, I don't think that at all. I mean, I've, I said it a couple weeks ago that the injuries kind of – they had a plan for this year, and Heron was a part of it. And yeah. Heron not being on the team because of whatever he did – clearly hurt this defense and then Lawrence especially going down really really yes. hurt this defense so you get both those guys back like of course we're going to be better you know yes I agree with that so and that's part of why I have confidence going forward too I feel like we're getting healthier and should help our depth a depth a lot yeah and also like it does help because I don't know what was it literature had to play like every play in yeah he and Gilmore were just like Playing 100 snaps or whatever. <laughs> and that kills you. I mean, it's that just, just kills you. And so the fact that no one has to do that anymore, that's a huge, huge factor. Yeah. And you mentioned it too. Like, it showed this week. They didn't wear out like they have. And yeah, we got better. This is the first game we got better in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, June. Baggio, Baggio. It's kind of like Biggio. Famous Astros second. Sorry, I guess I should bring up the Astros after the tough losses. No, uh, yeah, but if you say Baggio, it's a you know great Italian soccer player. That's true. See, maybe June is the great Italian soccer player. Yeah, maybe he's Roberto Baggio and listens to the podcast. <laughs> um. So he says, we all know about those losers from Tennessee, but how much worse are those losers from Oxford? Ten times, a hundred times? Is their loserdom beyond calculation? <laughs> um, I have never attempted to uh, calculate Ole Miss's loserdom. So I think it's like dividing by zero. It cannot be computed. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's actually mathematically impossible to figure out. <sighs> okay. So Vinny, again, wants to know the most embarrassing loss of the weekend. He gives you four choices, which are Auburn, Washington State. It's Washington State. State. Yeah, I agree. Washington or Louisville. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I agree. It's Washington State. Well, Louisville's not a very good team. Yeah. So it wasn't the BC while embarrassing. Louisville's not good this year. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) Um, 
Auburn, they probably didn't deserve to be number 10 in the country. That's a little bit. And it's a rivalry game. We'll let it slide. The Washington loss is bad, but it wasn't humiliating. It was just a bad loss. Wazoo didn't just lose. They got blown out. Seven turnovers. By a a pretty bad Cal team. Yeah. Which is like every Cal team, but. Yeah, and also that is why I don't think Mike Leach is going to leave Washington State. Because he can go and drop an egg like this, and no one cares. He is receiving no heat for it. I haven't heard anyone in the national media. I, I mean, I don't really know a whole lot of the local Wazoo media, but I think some of it would have filtered up at this point. No one's mentioned it at all. Like, wow, you really dropped a turd in the punch bowl. I it's just kind see. of you know, It's I, one of those things that happens. Everyone at Washington State's still happy with the guy, and he can lose a game like this. That is why coaching at Wazoo is so much better than coaching at Nebraska. I've seen a lot of uh, the nickname for it is Kuganit. I've seen a lot of that going around. Yeah. Which also this weekend we returned the uh, Clemsoning. Yeah, they did Clemson it. I, I don't know. Like, I think Syracuse just played well. It wasn't like – there wasn't a huge Clemson choke. They did lose their quarterback yeah, that was in bad. the middle of the game. And, like, it was – and also, Carrier Dome is a tough place to play. Yeah. You know, there's – no air conditioning that joint, you know, it just gets all hot and steamy. You know, it's just, uh, it's loud. You know, it's got terrible turf that'll, you know, ruin your career. I really don't think Syracuse is that bad. I mean, I, I did I, after our game with them, I came away thinking, no, I wasn't like, this is a great team, but I was like, this is a pretty good team. Yeah, they have a puncher's chance of beating you, and they're probably a better team at home than they are on the road, is kind of my. And also, it's, thir- what was it, Thursday, Friday night? And those yeah. week weekday games, stuff happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Clemson just because last year, you know, they lost the pick game, but you have Deshaun Watson. You kind of knew they were going to get off the mat. And this year, they're just a little different team. I don't know. Uh, I don't think they're going to tank, but that – I could see it's another NC game. State game. Like that, that'll be a big telltale game. They play NC State. Yeah, um, that's a tough match. But I think they're through the toughest part of their schedule. Florida State doesn't look like much right now. So I think the winner of the NC State-Clemson game is going to only have one loss, and they'll be the ACC championship game, probably facing another one-loss team. So Probably. It's an interesting year. I mean, I, I think we're on the cusp of this was our first truly bananas weekend. Yes. And the weekend before, we had OU go down. So We did. We're, we're approaching – a 10-year celebration of the, the wild 2007 season, which, of course, we, we are going to coordinate this season by winning another national championship. Yeah, we are approaching it, but we're not quite there yet. It's still the, – still the favorites are still on track in every conference, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but it is – I mean, we had like USC go down, OU went down, uh, obviously all the, the four top ten teams from this past weekend. It's just that everybody's lost their margin of error. Yeah, you get, you're the field of uh, the teams that you were looking at, and were like, "Oh, that's a pretty easy schedule." They're going to like walk their way to a late season being undefeated. They're they're all taking losses. Yeah, I think what it is is that there's not a whole lot of great teams this year, but there's a lot of good teams. Yeah, I think a lot of times when there's upsets at the top, they tend to people tend to say, "Well, everybody sucks." Yeah, I don't think that's what it is. I think particularly with the ACC, like everybody's just kind of good. 
Mm-hmm. You know, but Syracuse is going to, you know, they'll probably finish the year seven and four. Yep. They're good, but they're not great. And, you know, but they can beat anybody. And that's going to be the the tough thing to navigate their schedule in the ACC. Just everybody in that conference has a puncher's chance of beating you. Beyond LSU winning out, you know, doing the impossible, my top dream now is for both Florida State and Florida to somehow not get bowl eligible. Well, Florida State, they're really on the cusp. They're going to play <laughs> – I mean, look, they're – what, uh, three uh, – was it two and three right now? Yeah. And they're only going to play 11 games this year. Yep. The Clemson's on the schedule, so let's just assume that's a loss. So that puts you at two and four. You know, Delaware State's on the schedule. That's a win. So you're at three and four. Mm-hmm. So they have to go three and one in their remaining games to get to six and five. And they're going to play Florida in the last week of the season. If they go into that game at five and five, that'll be Florida's Super Bowl. There's a chance both of those teams could be fighting for bowl eligibility in that game. Yeah. Which is. That'll be beautiful. I mean, I think Florida will get there before then. I think they will too. They, they're just. The SEC is too bad, and they're too lucky. But it's, I mean, if you look at – so they have Georgia next weekend. They're going to get their doors blown off. No, they'll lose by seven because they're Florida, and they'll find a way to – I don't think so. Well, they, I mean, you know what yeah. – I know what you mean. Uh, but then they play Missouri. Who they should they should put it on Missouri. I mean, Missouri's really bad. Well, South Carolina's kind of a toss-up. Yeah, I like South Carolina. UAB is not, not terrible. They're 4-2 right now. It's an interesting. Uh, it's going to be fun to monitor those Florida schools. Well, I think what it is with uh, Florida is they've built up. Oh, they're only three and three. I was going to say they, they've built up a little bit of uh, a cushion, but no, they really haven't. They're I know. Three and two. I was thinking they were a little. You know, so I was thinking they were four and two, but you know that A and M game really hurts them. Yeah, they. You know, a three and three. They. You know, they need to. If you count, if you spot them, Missouri and UAB, that's five and three. Yeah, losing to Georgia five and four, that means they they either need to beat South Carolina or Florida State. Yeah, that's well, that Florida Florida State. If that is a battle for bowl eligibility, that's gonna be, oh, that'll be so beautiful. But that assumes Florida State beats Syracuse. Yeah, I know. It's I can't wait. Do you think? This uh, man, it's probably too late in the podcast to ask a question like this, but right, go for it. Short, question time. Yeah, short answer, I guess. Here, when you're at a team that's established, so Florida State and Florida are not in rebuilds. No, uh, they might. Florida State is reloading a little bit based off the fact that they lost their quarterback, but I don't find that to be. They have they, they played not, worse than, than. Yeah, they should not be this bad. And Florida. This is their own making. McElwain's been there for a while, so yeah. I mean, they did have the felony arrests. Yes, that's a big part. A little bit of a, to give them a little bit of an out. So is not making a bowl. That's like two years of bad seasons, right? Like I feel like not making a bowl is two years of going seven and five. Yeah, I agree with that because making the bowl is you get the extra practices. Making a bowl is everything. Yeah, really. And as much as people were like, "Oh, all these bowls mean nothing," like it's pretty uh, big marker of uh, relative success for your program. Also, it's a big development tool for next year. Yes. Uh, you, you fall behind the teams that you're competing against because they're, pre- and they're not prepping for the bowl. They're practicing for next year. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, they're probably going to spend like two or three practices on the ball. Yeah. And to spin that back to conclude this with LSU stuff, it's a big reason why this is such huge wins because we're almost indefinitely getting those bowl practices now. Yeah. You're five and two at this point. LSU would have to spectacularly implode to not make a bowl. Yeah. And there's a lot of way bigger issues if that happens. They literally have to lose out. And I confidently will say LSU will not lose out. Seems impossible. Yeah. I don't want to say impossible because nothing's impossible until it actually is. But it is highly, 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 highly unlikely. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So good thing. Yeah. It's a it's a uh, it's a shame we couldn't hire Jimbo Fisher. (laughs) Okay.